0: If you had a Bible, um, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 12. It can take us a minute to get there. Hebrews 12, wow, no, not Hebrews 12. That was Sunday. Wow, my messages are getting mixed up. 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, same number, different book. Um, but while you're turning there, uh, if you're new with us, you guys know that uh, opposed to last week when we were... Very blessed from what I hear um, with the uh, the guest speaker from Anchor, who I heard did a fantastic job talking about abiding in Christ. I'm super thankful for guys like Aaron Barnes. I can text on a whim at 2 p.m. in the afternoon and say, "Hey, can you come speak?" And he's like, "I got this college student that'll kill it." I'm like, "All right, go for it." Um, But uh, (laughs) um, but opposed to that, we are in a series this semester uh, talking about questions uh, that you guys sent in over the break, and we're taking our time to kind of walk through some of these questions. And so we've talked about all kinds of stuff, and uh, a few weeks ago we began our conversation about the Holy Spirit and so if you 're with us uh, two weeks ago, we first talked about you know how do I hear well from the Holy Spirit? what does it mean to listen to uh, the holy Spirit and we 're going to kind of continue that conversation part two tonight, but tonight talking about another specific question that you guys asked or one of you asked uh, about prophecy in tongues. and tongues and what does that look like? Um, some would call these the the sign gifts of the Holy Spirit and uh, what, why do we not see that a lot in Alberta and you know, kind of what does the Bible say about it? So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So I'm glad you guys asked these questions. I'm always up for having these kind of conversations. And so we're going to get into that a little bit tonight. Um, but before we get into it, I am thankful for this question, because I think it gives us a chance to talk about a lot of interesting things in the Bible, but I think it can be really encouraging for us. Um, but I'm just curious, who here has ever had any experience with prophecy, tongues, you ever been to a church where people spoke in tongues, things like that? Cool, because I'm, I'm not alone. So in Mobile, where I'm from, I don't know what it is about the culture, I think it has something to do with the history of the area and a big revival that happened years ago. But where I grew up that, there are lots of like charismatic churches, lots of Assembly of God, Church of God, things like that, and so I had a lot of friends growing up that were in that kind of world. Even when I was in youth group, there was kind of a, a, uh, a group of people that left our church and went and became like Assembly of God Charismatics for a bit, and, uh, and I went and visited church with them a couple of times and, and experienced some of this stuff. And I, mean, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, about as traditional as, as you can get, and so it was a different world for me to go over and experience some of this kind of stuff. And it was super interesting because, you know, you get over there and you you experience a worship service, and I in no way have any intent to bash that um, sector of the Christian church uh, tonight, but you go there, the worship is amazing, and then they have a time of like ministry where people will come and be offered prayer, and they'll prophesy over you, people are starting to speak in tongues, you're like, I don't really know what you're saying, but I guess that's cool, and it's a very confusing kind of thing. And it made me begin to ask the questions that maybe you're asking, okay, well, what what, why are they doing this uh why have i not you know seen this in my church and what does the bible say about this and uh, one of my best friends actually uh became a charismatic for a season and it's been really fascinating to have conversations with him he's actually come out of that and come back into a more uh you know bible church not well not bible church like denomination not church that believes the bible the charismatics do too but like a more kind of you know traditional almost reform-leaning church Um, but to hear his experience has been really fascinating to even talking about that to you but tonight we're going to kind of get into some of this and let me go and tell you this i'm not going to answer all your questions um because number one there's way too many questions to to answer in our time tonight you'll probably have some more questions when we're done here's my main goal is i want to show you what the bible says about these things um and then first prophecy and then tongues and then my last thing i want to do is it's kind of show you two different stances that faithful christians that believe the bible take on these kind of things i'll obviously give you a little bit of my personal kind of bias a little bit but don't take this as the final word on the issue because of what I believe. I want you guys to see the biblical stance, hear some arguments that are coming from people who believe in both sides. I've, I've pulled from the different sources for that. And then in the end, I want you to kind of make your own decision, right? Obviously, if you're at a church like Alberta, you probably have your own thoughts about it, probably if you're here. Um, but I want to kind of give you, a, as much as I can, a holistic view that kind of, I say, would present a fairer picture of all this kind of stuff. Does that sound good? Does that make sense? So that's that's my goal for for tonight. Yet again, I'm in no way trying to bash any, any denomination because um, there are brothers and sisters in Jesus, and even if we disagree about certain things, we're still uh, the capital C church, all right? So we, we want to be a family together. All right, so here's the deal. So the charismatic movement is where a lot of this stuff comes from a prophecy in tongues these days. It has some roots in the Bible that we'll talk about in a second, but a lot of the modern stuff you're going to see in some churches like Assembly of God, Church of God, things like that, Trace their roots back to early 1900s in this place called the Azusa Street Revival in California. Uh, about 1906 it began, I want to say. Um, and a lot of the, uh, that has made its way throughout the, the, the world at this point. Uh, but it began kind of there in this revival where people began to say that the Lord is doing a new thing in the world. There's a, there's a fresh outpouring of the Spirit. And that is expressed in things like tongues, things like prophecy, words of wisdom, things like that. So that makes its way into a lot of the denominations that you may be familiar with today. That are more charismatic. It actually has some, believe it or not, Anabaptist roots, which is actually part of our heritage as Baptist. Um, but we have the crazy uncles in our Anabaptist roots that were super into, uh, you know, really like they would never prepare to preach. Like the guy would get up there with just the passage and just like start talking. There were no notes. <laughs> uh, they were way more into the kind of uh, spontaneous stuff they're part of our heritage in some ways but they're more the, the kind of crazy uncles of the Baptist world that we don't really trace as much of our tradition to but they're in our heritage but even old-school Anabaptists have some of that that has led to some of the stuff we see today so there's some history in this um, but most of it that we see today is more in assembly of God and things like that so that's kind of where it's coming from but tonight I want to do like I said two things prophecy tongues and then we'll get into the um, two sides to the argument in a minute, okay? So let's talk about prophecy for a minute, all right? <laughs> let's talk about what that what that is and what the Bible says about it. So you're already in 1 Corinthians 12, so hold, stay there, and if you want to, you can turn to Deuteronomy, but it's going to be on the screen. I just want to show you this. In Deuteronomy 18, by the way, I'm giving you tons of Bible tonight, okay? I don't think I should apologize for that, but I'm giving you a lot of Bible, so I'm sorry if there's a lot of a lot of things to look at, but I, I thought it, that would be really helpful for tonight, okay? So, but if you want to trace the, the roots of prophecy and what a prophet really is, um, you got to look at Deuteronomy 18, and in, in this is Moses, or the Lord speaking to Moses about what it means for a person to be a prophet. So if you read with me, Deuteronomy 18, all these references are in your notes tonight, but Deuteronomy 18, verse 18 through 22, this is going to show you what an actual prophet is, um, maybe not what we would define it as today, but what the Bible says it is. It says this, I, this is God speaking, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers, their brothers, this being the brothers of the people of Israel, and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Basically, I'll hold him accountable to it. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I've not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word, uh, the word that the Lord has spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, you need not be afraid of him. So this is really the definition of what it means to be a prophet. Everything in the Bible from that point in some ways hinges on this. And so as we begin to talk about prophecy, we gotta start here, and I wanted to point out two things about what it means for someone to be a prophet. First off, it means that a prophet speaks the words of God. You see that, it says, I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. But the second thing we really see is this, is that how do we know someone's a prophet? What do you see in there? How do you know someone's a prophet or not? Well, was it, yeah, if what they say comes true, right? If it doesn't, they're not a prophet, right? So all those guys who say the end times was supposed to happen 10 years ago, they were not prophets, okay? Um, so, but they claim to be, it doesn't matter. They're not prophet according to the Bible, okay? But uh, this is what we see here. Now the thing about killing, that's a different, this is talking about a theocracy in Israel at a different time when the, the, this is specific laws for Israel. We're not supposed to kill people who claim to be prophets and then aren't, okay? I don't think you need arguing, uh, arguments for that, but that, this is a different context. But we see there really two things about prophets. Number one, they, if you're gonna say you're really a prophet, you're speaking the words of God, okay? Number two, and we'll talk more about this in a second, but number two, for them to really be tested as a prophet, we need to see do the, what they say is true is gonna come true, okay? now first corinthians 12 let's go there because you know fast forward now to new testament a long time since then and we're looking at the letter of first corinthians which we're going to spend a lot of time tonight this is paul writing to the church in corinth If you don't know much about the church in Corinth, um, they had a lot of issues, Uh, a lot of jacked up stuff is happening in the church in Corinth. Paul gives them a lot of correctives about what it means to live faithfully in light of the gospel. But one specific thing that we can glean from the the letter is that they're really, really into tongues. And they're really, really into prophecy, and they're really, really into the big, kind of dramatic sign gift kind of stuff and Paul wants to give them some corrective about, about that. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about why that's important and why it's significant it's only here in a minute. But first, let's talk about prophecy in here. So let's go to verse, uh, verse four of chapter 12. I want you to see what Paul says, kind of fast-forwarded here, about these things, okay? So Paul says this. This is verse four through 11 of First Corinthians 12. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by, one, by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who appoints, sorry, apportions to each one individually as he wills. So I want you to see two things there in that text. Number one, we see that we receive spiritual gifts from the Spirit. Um, We've heard before in the past that God gives us certain gifts when we're born, certain gifts when we're born again, that God has certain personality traits he gives us to be used in the church, but also when we're born again, we become a Christian when the Spirit indwells us, he gives us certain spiritual gifts. Um, that we can use to serve in the church and to get the mission, uh, get the gospel out to the world. So we each have certain gifts um, that we receive through the Holy Spirit, and Paul is outlining some of these for the church. You probably have lots of questions about some of them. We're not gonna get to all of them tonight. But Paul mentions two of these gifts are the gifts of prophecy um, and tongues. Um, So let's then go down just a bit, go to verse 27. I told you I'm giving lots of Bible tonight. Go to verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, we'll talk about this for a second. 27 through 31, he kind of continues the conversation. He says this, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Notice that's at the end of the list, by the way. Um, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do you all speak with tongues? Do you all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, Paul has this thing he loves to do in his letters is he loves to ask a question and the implied answer is no, right? And that's exactly what he's saying here when he says, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. And you make your way down the list. So his point here is this, is that not everybody has these gifts that are outlined in uh, in first Corinthians that not everyone is gonna have the gift of prophecy the gift of tongues the gift of all these different kind of things so this isn't something we we will go in lesson number one it's not something that every Christian is even expected to do biblically okay we see that alright so but that word prophecy there is interesting because it's used by Paul in first Corinthians and it's really used uh, the idea of prophecy is used 14 different times in the New Testament but if you read in the New Testament we don't have time to do a survey of all of them tonight You're gonna find that the word prophecy in the New Testament is a little bit unique in that it typically describes God spontaneously bringing to mind something, or revealing something to the speaker which is spoken with their words, but it's not necessarily the words of God in the way that an Old Testament prophet would speak. And I'll give you some examples of that um, in a minute. But what that means is this, is that prophecy in a New Testament sense is not the literal word of God, therefore it's fallible that it's not perfect, and that we, they can get it wrong. That a prophet, or someone who prophesies, I'll talk about why I don't like that word prophet in a second, but someone who prophesies, they can get things wrong. And we see examples of this, but the, the easiest example to see is First Thess, well, Thessalonians 5, 20 through 21, says this. It's another reference, it's gonna be on the screen, and I'm giving you a lot. But Paul says this, he says, do not despise prophecies. So hey, he says honor prophecies. But he says this, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. So why would Paul say to test everything when he just said prophecy before? If not to say that, you should test certain prophecies, which means what? That certain prophecies aren't right. right? Some prophecies can be wrong, so prophecy in a New Testament sense is not the authoritative, direct word of the Lord. It's in some ways filtered through an imperfect vessel of a person who can get it wrong. Okay, so it's not the same as the Old Testament prophet we talked about where they're speaking the direct words of God like in Isaiah or in Ezekiel or something like that. Okay, so that's the first thing we see about prophecy. Um, There are some kind of mixed views even of this. Um, Another uh, view is that the gift of prophecy even more specifically is like the gift or really similar to the gift of preaching or teaching. Um, which I think is very well possible, that I think in many ways when someone, uh, like a pastor gets up and, and preaches God's word, that they are prophesying in the sense they are communicating God's word to um, to, the, to his people, that yeah, that, pro- that preacher is not perfect, he can get some things wrong, but when he is faithfully preaching the word to somebody, when he's faithfully communicating the truth of God's word to people, he's prophesying, he's speaking God's words to the people, because what he's saying is based on the Bible, right? Now obviously we can get off in some crazy stuff, but when done right, Preaching and teaching is a form of prophecy, you could say, in, in that sense, okay? Um, but also, let's move on to 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul keeps talking about this. So skip 1 Corinthians 13. Sorry, it's a beautiful wedding chapter, right? But we can, we'll move on. There's a reason it's there. It's very important. But for tonight, we're going to skip over it. Go to 1 Corinthians 14, when Paul kind of picks up this conversation again. In 14.1, he says this. He says, pursue love, which what? He just finished the love chapter, right? So that's the most important thing. But then he says, "He says pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, which is interesting. Skip down a little bit farther. We'll come back to some of what he says in a second when we get to tongues. But skip down to verse 24 of that. In verse 24 of chapter 14, this is what he says. But if all prophesy... In an unbeliever, this is in the church, in a worship gathering, by the way, is what he's he's describing. But if all prophesy in a worship gathering, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So I want to point out a couple of things that are really, I think, important to notice about prophecy from this text, is that first off, uh, the point of prophecy in the end in the church is to build up the church, is to encourage the church, and it's to comfort the gathered church. It's, it's about we use that word edify a lot in the church. Like it's to build up the church. It's to edify. That's, that's the point of prophecy. But prophecy can also be used, like Paul says here, evangelistically to disclose the secrets of the hearts of unbelievers and lead them to worship God. Uh, there's stories of Charles Spurgeon, the, the great preacher, the prince of preachers. There's stories of him preaching a service, and suddenly he says he stops and he says. You, he said, you young man out there, the gloves in your jacket pocket are not paid for. And he had some kind of, you know, revelation from God in some way that there's a guy out there who had stole some gloves before he came to church and he was convicted about it. You know, and he just, there's multiple stories of Spurgeon having this kind of, you know, uh, kind of revelations, if you will, from the Lord that, hey, this is something you should say. That's, that's a form of prophecy that you could say. So that would be an evangelistic part, that that guy, if you're in church and you stole some gloves and go to church and then the preacher says, hey, you stole those gloves, you're coming to Jesus today, right? (laughs) You're coming to him. And so that's kind of the evangelistic kind of part. um, Because God wants to use this gift of prophecy to build up the community of Christians. And so so Paul says, hey, use it um, well, and value it highly, but use it rightly. Uh, And that's where this kind of, the careful part we need to talk about comes in. Because we gotta be really careful To talk about prophecy correctly because it's very much a biblical thing i think in in the bible in the new testament church to talk about it but we got to be really careful what we mean when we say prophecy because what we can unintentionally do when we begin to talk about this idea of prophecy is we really begin to unintentionally undermine the authority of the bible and we can undermine the sufficiency of scripture, which if you were with us a couple of weeks ago talking about the Bible and how we got the Bible, I spent just a brief moment talking about sufficiency of scripture. I think two weeks ago we talked a little bit about it, even hearing from God, but I wanna revisit that in a different way for a second because this is really important for our conversation. If you wanna to turn to Hebrews one, I'll show you a verse that I think makes this really helpful. You don't have to, it's gonna be on the screen. But Hebrews one says this, it's really helpful, I think, thinking about sufficiency of the Bible. Um, The writer of Hebrews, whoever he was, we don't know who he was. It wasn't Paul, um, but whoever this guy is, he says this. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, last days being any point post Jesus' ascension to him coming back. So we're in the last days in that sense. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So the reason I bring up that verse is this, point out just a few things. First off, notice how the author is really intentional in his wording in this. He says that God has spoken contrasted with he spoke. To the prophets in the past there, it's there's some wordplay going on there but there's some mention of how there's some finality in what jesus has said but even more than that if you look at the way that he describes the ministry of jesus he says what that after making purification for sins he what he sat down right at the right hand of the majesty on high at the right hand of the father biblically speaking that imagery and it's even also from like Kings and stuff when a king sits down he's he's declaring that his work for whatever he was doing before is done so for Jesus to be seated at the right hand of God is to say that his work is finished there's no more that he has to do but I think in this specific case in Hebrews it makes it really clear this is that Jesus has accomplished all that's necessary for us to know God fully but also that Jesus has fully revealed God to us so we don't need any extra revelation post Jesus to know God fully And then when it comes to the... Bible, the Word of God that we have today, the Bible is the full revelation of who Christ is to where we don't need any additional revelations from God in terms of new truth, in terms of new things like that, because we received all we need in the Bible. The Bible is sufficient in that sense. Like I mentioned a few weeks ago, there's a reason that the book of Revelation has a bit at the end that says, don't add to this thing. Don't add to this book. Yes, he's specifically talking about the book of Revelation, but I mean, there's a reason God put that or had people put that at the end of the, end of the Bible. It's like, hey, don't add anything to the Bible. It's all you need for life with me it's all you need it's sufficient it's all you need for truth and so when we talk about the idea of prophecy we got to be careful to know that Jesus is the full revelation of God to us and the Bible is all we need for life with God I'll give you one more verse to uh, illustrate it second Peter 1 3 says this his divine power this being Christ his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That Jesus' redemption has provided to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not just all things that pertain to just some theology, but Peter says specifically, all we need to know how to live the Christian life is found in the, the divine power of Christ, which, how do we even know the work of Jesus today if not for the Bible, for the scriptures? And so the Bible itself is what we need to be able to follow the Lord, to be obedient, it's all we need for life with God. It's sufficient in that sense. And I mention all that because when it comes to prophecy, we gotta be really careful when people mention something sometimes, like God gave me a new, a new revelation, something like that. I, I get kind of maybe what they mean, but we gotta be really careful with that idea of revelation because we can mean it a wrong way can we, and we can mean it in, in a helpful way. Because in many ways, you know, the Holy Spirit does continue to give us revelation in the sense that the Holy Spirit keeps revealing the truth of God's word to us. It's not adding in new truth, but it's helping illuminate the Bible, it's helping apply the truth that's already contained in scripture, and it's helping apply it to our lives. So in that sense, we can receive new revelation, but it's not new truth, it's just things that the Holy Spirit is revealing to us, it's applying it to our lives. Because, I mean, honestly, how many times have you wished the Bible said more than it did about something? Like, you probably really wish the Bible gave you more information about some life decision you're trying to make or, you know, some issue. But the, the thing is that many times in our Christian faith, what we need is, is not more information, but we need more spiritual wisdom. All right, we don't need more information, like just more things to know, because in the end it's not just the knowledge that we need. It's really we need spiritual discernment, spiritual wisdom that only comes from really being filled more with the, with the Spirit, filled more with the fullness of God. It only comes with time built into being spiritually mature. And that stuff comes through time in the Bible, time in prayer, and time in, with God's people. Those kind of things that form us to make us more spiritually mature That's many times what we need more than just more information because the Bible is all that we need ultimately. It's sufficient for us. So there's that sense. And also, like I mentioned, the preaching and teaching of God's word is in some way a a revelation because God is revealing himself through the preaching of the word. And then also when Christ comes again, that will be the next real revelation. When Christ comes and reveals himself fully to the world when he returns, that will be the ultimate future revelation to happen But when it comes to giving like new revelation today in prophecy, we gotta know that God has already given us the full revelation of himself in Christ. He's already given us the Bible to know Jesus, so we don't need any new information in that sense. That Jesus is enough for us, the Bible is enough for us. We don't need more stuff. We don't also need to be constantly seeking out some kind of new thrill and new high of some kind of insider knowledge from God when he's given us all we need in the Bible. Okay, does that make sense? so the ultimate question is do prophets ex- exist still today like, are there still prophets in the world well yes and no <laughs> really no not in the sense of the old testament idea because first off even before we talk about prophets remember paul mentions apostles a second ago in 1 corinthians 12 we've talked about this a couple of weeks ago but apostles for sure are done an apostle was somebody that was personally commissioned by the resurrected christ to be a leader in the church the 12 disciples paul and that was it there are no more apostles today if someone tells you they're an apostle it's there there's some weird theology happening there's a guy on campus that went by the BCM of the day that told uh, kim there that he was an apostle who came to give her a bible he's not an apostle okay i don't know what he's thinking but he's not an apostle <laughs> and so that kind of idea is not going to be biblical so but with that in the same idea prophets in the same way or don't still exist today. Because since Christ is the full revelation to us, God's word is sufficient for us, we don't need any more prophets in the Old Testament since today, just like there's no more apostles. But do people still prophesy today is the question. Well, yet again, it depends on what you mean by prophecy. Because if by prophecy we mean, you know, speaking authoritatively on God's behalf, that what you're saying are the literal words of the Lord to somebody else, well, I'd say, no, that doesn't exist today. I don't think we're going to find anything in the Bible that's going to support that, especially in the in the New Testament, at least. But if by prophecy you mean that God is speaking to you through the Holy Spirit, that you've got some promptings from the Lord, that it's the Holy Spirit taking the revealed truth of Scripture, revealing it to your heart, and maybe that's being unpacked in a certain way for your life or for, or for someone else's life, yeah, then maybe prophecy can exist in that kind of way. But you got to understand that if you're going to say you're prophesying, you're not speaking directly on behalf of God. But it's more of a prompting that you're receiving from the Holy Spirit that those words are fallible. Those words are not perfect. You can definitely get some things wrong. And you got to be really careful. And you always got to test it with Scripture. God's never going to reveal something to you today that contradicts what he's already revealed to us in the Bible. So the point is that we gotta be really careful how much weight we put on our own subjective thoughts and emotions. And we always gotta be checking everything with the Bible when it comes to things we feel like the Lord is telling us, especially when it comes to things the Lord is telling us to tell somebody else. <laughs> okay, I've had some people tell me <laughs> some weird things in life about what the Lord was telling me that weren't from, the, weren't from God, okay? I have a lot of Christian friends who said, someone told them, hey, you're gonna go do this, you're gonna marry this person, or I've even heard people guys tell girls that, hey, God tell, told me that you're gonna marry me. That's not the way to get a girl, guys. That's creepy and weird. Things like that, no, it doesn't work, okay? And I'll be honest, I am personally very hesitant to ever call something prophecy because of all the different ways that we're fallible humans, that we can get things wrong. But I have no problem saying that certain things were a prophetic word from God. Like I've heard sermons that were absolutely a prophetic word from God, that they were just way too spiritually insightful and necessary to not be just really inspired by the Lord to speak into a certain moment. I've heard pastors mention certain things in sermons. And you may be experienced this, like a pastor's preaching and you're like, man, that one thing you said, it's like you were speaking to me. Like you you ever had that moment yeah well in some ways whether the pastor knew it or not he was being prophetic in that moment the Lord speaking to you that kind of stuff I believe absolutely exists today but we gotta be really careful when we start labeling people as prophets and labeling ourselves as prophesying it just gets really really um, foggy weird and cloudy really quickly because we begin to put too much weight on something that we don't have the authority to put weight on does that make sense so that, that's that's the first bit and I'll, I'll get more into this a little bit when we get to the end with the two different views but I think all that I said so far is fairly faithful to uh, what we see in the Bible okay so that's prophecy let's move on to tongues for a minute okay this is the fun part alright so go to Acts 2 if you want to um, you don't have to it'll be on the screen so we're gonna get we're gonna get back into first Corinthians 14 in a second but let me show you where tongues originate in uh, Well, kind of originate in the Bible and we'll go from there. Acts 2, this is Pentecost. You've probably heard this story before. I mean, I saw like a, a cartoon or a flannel graph of it or something in Sunday school. They do, do, they, do they do flannel graphs when you guys were kids? I'm, I'm probably too old. Okay. It's like a felt thing you put on this board. It was, it was fun. Okay, anyway. All right. So Acts 2, verses 1 through 6. This is um, when the Spirit falls on the early church right after the ascension of Jesus. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. This is lots of believers in Jerusalem. because that's that's the least I would be, would be bewildered, okay? They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, all right? Yeah, so crazy story <laughs> in the Bible, um, but this is kind of where the idea of tongues begins. We see flaming tongues sitting on people's heads. It, it's a crazy story, but what we see is this. The tongues spoken in this passage are really clearly what? They're actual languages, right? They're languages spoke by um, different nationalities, ethnicities, people from different parts of the world. And this specific story is a really fulfillment of what Christ came to do in the ability to get the gospel to all of the world, that he told the disciples, right? That In Acts 1-8, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, that there's going to be this kind of outgoing of the gospel well there's language barriers as you can as you make it to the ends of the earth and this is a beginning of that process of the language barrier being over um, overcome in many ways this is like the tower of babel in reverse and instead of god diversifying languages he's like in unit he's unifying them in some kind of way so that the gospel can be to begin to get out to the nations uh, Peter right after this gets up and preaches a sermon saying hey this is a fulfillment of Joel 2 when God says that I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh that your old men would prophesy your young men would dream dreams that this is a fulfillment of what Lord the Lord prophesied or what the Lord said would do uh, a long time ago and so that's really clear what's happening here but now go to first Corinthians 14 because uh, probably I think a few decades later Paul is now writing to the the church in um, Corinth and he talks about tongues again But the question is is it the same thing and that, that's the the tricky question And so I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna read at length from this because I think it's helpful This is a lot of verses to read at one time But we're, we're gonna start in verse 1 of chapter 14 and just go all the way through verse 33, okay? It's a lot of verses. I tried to edit it out and I was like, I just can't I just, we just need to read it Okay, so starting in verse 1. This is what Paul says The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if if with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? for you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my, with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking." be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it's written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That's my heart for the church, that God will declare he's really among us. I keep on going. Last paragraph. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh in what you said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace." So a lot in there that we can't get into all of that tonight, but I want to point out a few things I think we can observe from this that are super helpful. So first thing I want to point is this. Given that Paul gives no instruction to tongues in any, any other letter to his churches, it seems that the historical context, like I mentioned, is that the church in Corinth is, is way more focused on tongues than they probably should be, based on Paul's guidance here. Because Paul never in the Bible, or never in his letters, ever makes tongues a requirement for Christians. He never says it's what you have to be doing in order to truly be saved. He never says anything about a second baptism that results in tongues, nothing about that. So I would say that this should warn us at least to be really careful how much focus we would put on speaking in tongues because the Bible outside of this long chapter, but, but really one chapter, doesn't say anything else to the church is about speaking in tongues outside of Acts 2, which we just saw as a different language, okay, actual languages, all right? So, but when it comes to more stuff, what are tongues? Well, it seems like from Paul's description here in First Corinthians 14, and this is debatable, but if they're, if they're not just other languages, it seems that tongues are at least a speech in a language that the speaker does not know. Some might say, by, based on 1 Corinthians 13, that it's a language of angels that nobody knows, but that's kinda uncertain, that's up for debate. But the focus that Paul seems to say here is that tongues, whatever you think of it, is primarily a way to praise God. That's the focus to where the person speaking doesn't know what they're saying, but their spirit in some ways is crying out opposed to like their mind, which understands what they would be saying if they were speaking in their language. Uh, you see an example of this in Acts 10 when, when the spirit falls on some believers, they start praising God in tongues. There's a response to praising God in, in that kind of way. So speaking tongues privately may be beneficial for your own spiritual devotion, if you feel loved in that way, if you have received that spiritual gift from God. But when the church gathers, the focus that Paul makes really clear over and over again in this chapter is that the focus of the gathering should be on building up the church, encouraging each other, and that can't happen if there are tongues with no translation, there's tongues with no interpretation, right? He makes that really clear over and over again. You know, it's unclear, well, sorry, it's not, it is clear that Paul mentions how some people receive in it even a spiritual gift of translating interpreting tongues. But Paul says that if, that if there's not someone there that has that gift, then there's no reason for anybody to speak in tongues because it can't be interpreted and it's just going to be some, some, some babble that nobody really knows what's happening and it's not edifying for the church. So Paul makes it clear that while tongues can be personally um, edifying for a believer in private, they're not helpful for the church in worship if they aren't interpreted in any kind of way. And since they're not helpful, if they're not interpreted, then Paul says, don't do it. He says, don't uh, speak in tongues in church if they can't be interpreted, because in the end, God is not a God of confusion, but he's a God of um, peace, right? So we see this principle there, and he talks about how it can even be a way that God convicts unbelievers and encourages believers, but we see that the idea of, of interpretation is so important, because God's not honored if the church, when they gather, is just a mess of people speaking in tongues with no interpretation. It's just chaos, and that's what Paul's right in the Corinthian church, saying, hey, don't, don't do this because it's a God. God's not a God of chaos. He wants you to be orderly in your worship. And Paul says that the gathering of the church should be for people to understand what's going on and to be able to hear prophecy ultimately from other people. And based on how we define prophecy so far, we get to, when we get together for, a church, for church or even when we get together for a Bible study, when we're sharing God's word with each other, when we're maybe even sharing how God is speaking to us through his word, we can in some ways say that there's some prophecy happening when we communicate God's word to each other. And in some ways we're doing even what Paul describes in his letter, that when we gather and one, one person has, like he said, you know one, let me go back and look at it real quick where's that he says when you come together each one has a hymn a lesson a revelation a tongue interpretation in some ways some of that we do even when we get together for a Bible study that we sing songs together singing hymn that we we um, have an interpretation maybe not of a tongue but we look at the Bible and we read together a revelation as we share God's Word together you also got to keep in mind that the letter of first Corinthians was written Fairly early in church history, so to where they did not not have the finished canon of the Bible, to where they didn't have like a Bible, like a Bible they could open up. There wasn't like a New Testament they could open up and study in a Bible study together. That this is a very early time to where there is really important for apostles to be teaching properly in the church for the health of the church and for their building up. So Paul's speaking into that context. But but in that, you know, depending on how you define prophecy, we could say that's happening here. But Paul makes the point that prophecy, in the end, communicating the word of God trumps the idea of tongues every time especially if there's no interpretation if there's no no interpretation then it's not really meaningful at all to the church that's that's the big point here and so what i want to kind of close with with that is this is that in the end biblically the idea of tongues is kind of foggy that we shouldn't condemn speaking in tongues i'm not going to go as far as saying that no one should ever speak in tongues it's 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 completely ceased but i also think that we got to be really really careful about it because Aside from this section in 1 Corinthians, the New Testament never really gives any more instruction about it. It's pretty silent on it. And so, you know, it can be helpful maybe in a church gathering if there's interpretation, maybe privately for some people. But we got to be really careful about the idea of tongues. And also remember that the Bible never says that you're some kind of second-rate Christian if you don't speak in tongues. And it also definitely never says that you're not a Christian if you don't speak in tongues. There's some charismatic movements that say if you truly become a Christian, you're filled with the Spirit, you'll speak in tongues. If you don't do that, you're not really saved. You're not gonna find that in the Bible. There's some weird ways they interpret some stuff to get to that, but if you just read 1 Corinthians 14, it makes it clear that's not um, how this is supposed to work. Okay. So in the end, it may be just a matter of preference, a matter of personality, a matter of style. Maybe the vast majority of people who had the gift of tongues ended up in the charismatic church and in the assembly of God church. And there's not many of them in the Baptist church, which is why we don't have it much in uh, Baptist churches. I don't really know all the answers to that. But I do know that the Bible commands us to be really careful about it. And it never says that it's something that we have to be doing so if you're worried about us not speaking in tongues at alberta it's not the bible doesn't tell us we have to do it okay and so we can be um we have freedom in that kind of way but our charismatic brothers and sisters if they follow the bible correctly with it have the freedom to do it as well we just have some different disagreements on exactly how it's supposed to work out okay so with that, there's one more thing i want to point out and then we're going to wrap up for tonight it's this idea that i put in your notes of cessationist versus continuationist these are some big five dollar words um, but this last bit I wanted to say is this, is that there are two arguments within the church, within faithful Christianity, for how we should think about this kind of stuff. There are the cessationists, who are people that would say that the sign gifts of the spirit, tongues, prophecy, uh, miracles in many ways, most healings, things like that, all those kind of things have ceased. That's, why I, that's where, where that word cessation comes from, Cessationist. They say that once the apostles passed away, all that stuff was done. There is another group, continuationists, who would say that the sign gifts continue today. And so there, those are two camps within faithful Christianity, that faithful Bible-believing Christians believe this. And I wanna give you just briefly, really quickly, the argument for each one from people that believe it. Um, so you can kinda of hear why they believe what they do. And then we'll, we'll wrap up after that, okay? But first, let's start with cessationists. I'll give you the text that they tend to like to use. It's Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So on the screen, it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So cessationists would say then that based on that verse, that the foundation of the church has already been laid. And when you build a house, you don't build more foundations on top of it, right? But that the foundation is laid, which means that there is no need for any more apostles like we talked about, but also, there's no need for any more prophets because they laid the foundation of the New Testament church and it's been done. That when they died, when the apostles died, there's no more prophets, no more apostles, that is, has that, that is ceased. And so, since the office of apostle has ceased, then that means that it's very possible that the gift gifts such as tongues and prophecy have also ended because that foundation has been laid. Um, They would say that the early church didn't have the complete New Testament, so the authentic ministry of prophet was needed for a season to lay that foundation in the early days. They'd say that first corinthians 14 was written a few decades earlier in church history than other books like first timothy and second timothy and those later books like first timothy don't mention anything really about instructions on speaking in tongues but the earlier books mention things about speaking in tongues which makes you wonder maybe that kind of gift was beginning to pass away because it was becoming less important because the new testament canon was was, was being more formed things were becoming more stabilized in the church to where that kind of stuff was less necessary um, some would say that New Testament prophets are different than Old Testament prophets. And like we talked about, they would say that New Testament prophets can get things wrong unlike the Old Testament prophets. But they would say there's no evidence in the Bible that we have Old, Tem- Old Testament prophets getting things wrong, but we do have examples of New Testament prophets that sometimes get things a little uh, misinterpreted. Um, what some people call prophecies today, like we said, are just impressions from God through the Spirit. And since their impressions they can be wrong the one example that you find is acts 21 i mentioned this last two weeks ago in acts 21 there are some believers that are revealed through the holy spirit that paul is going to be uh, persecuted in jerusalem so they say hey don't go to jerusalem paul don't go to jerusalem please don't go but paul goes right we talked about that and like why would paul go to jerusalem if the holy spirit was saying not to go well it's because the holy spirit apparently wasn't saying not to go otherwise paul wouldn't have gone but instead, these these believers were receiving a prophecy, if you will, that Paul was gonna be persecuted in Jerusalem, but that led them to say, don't go because you're gonna be persecuted. But that was their interpretation, and their addition to what God had shown them. It wasn't God saying don't go because Paul wouldn't have gone, okay? So there's a subjective element to this um, that is important to remember. So that New Testament prophecy is, is different and less authoritative than Old Testament prophecy, okay? Uh, They'd also say that um, since 1 Corinthians 14 equates tongues with prophecy, that means that tongues has passed away as well, and that some cessations, we even say that 1 Corinthians 14, when it talks about tongues, is specifically talking about foreign languages that exist in the world. It's not angelic tongues, but it's just languages that the person speaking in church didn't know, but maybe someone else did know. But when it comes to miracles and healing, uh, they say that's still very possible. Um, But biblically, it seems like those things happen more in cutting-edge gospel situations where the gospel is getting to people that have never heard it before. And so we should expect things like miracles and healings and, and all kinds of things like that to happen more often in places like that in the world, but not in places where the church has been more established in the world. Which, from what I hear just anecdotally, in my own life it makes sense. I hear stories in the mission field of things happening that are crazy, like people being raised from the dead, but we don't see that a lot here in the American church because the church is more established. People know the gospel here more often, but places around the world where the gospel has never been heard, it seems like God likes to do some really unique, really powerful, really acts kind of looking things in those parts of the world to authenticate the gospel. So just from my own experience of what I've heard from people, that makes sense, okay? So that's what the cessationists would say and why they believe that um, the Things like prophecy and tongues are done. But then you have the continuationists, which would be some more charismatic people. They would say this, that the book of Acts shows consistently that when the Spirit is poured out on new believers, they experience the power of the Spirit through things like tongues, prophecy, and other signs. Uh, They say there's nothing in the Bible that shows these gifts were limited to that time and place. Uh, that they happen in a variety of locations with people that aren't apostles not just the apostles um, They say that if spiritual gifts were necessary for the edification of the church in when it started is the church any less needed uh, Does the church need any less edification today? Like if tongues and prophecy edify the church at the beginning when it started the church still needs that today So why would God take that away if they still need it today? Um, They would say that nowhere does the New Testament ever suggest that certain spiritual gifts were unique and exclusive To that time and that they've passed and the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about them passing. This is all debate within theology They would say the gifts of prophecy and tongues are associated with demonstrating the new age that's come in Christ They're they're useful in demonstrating that we are in the last days Which began when Jesus ascended to heaven and when the spirit fell and they would say okay well the last days exist from when Jesus um, and the spirit fell after his ascension all the way to when Christ comes again. So if we're in the last days all through this church age, post-ascension to when he comes back again, why would the gifts just go away randomly at some point after the spirit fell in Acts? Um, what in the Bible would lead us to believe that? That's kind of their, their argument. So the, one of their verses they would love to use is 1 Corinthians thirteen ten, which says this. It says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away and they would say and it's obvious in first Corinthians 13 Paul's talking about Jesus coming again when he talks about the perfect coming that's when Christ comes and makes all things new makes redemption complete so they would say since that's the case then tongues and prophecy very well can exist today because the perfect hasn't come yet They would say that if we get things like baptism the lord's supper church discipline church leadership structures all from the example of the new testament why would we treat tongues and prophecy differently than we would those other things Uh, they say if signs and wonders were only meant to authenticate the message of the apostles then why do non-apostles perform signs in the new testament they would say instead the new testament describes signs and wonders serving to glorify god to prepare the way for the gospel to edify the church all of which are still needed today so why would they go away and finally, they would say the argument from experience that many of them have experienced God using prophecy and tongues in their own life for edification. So why would that happen if, if they weren't real? So a lot there, I know I just shotgun through all that kind of stuff, okay? But I want you to see that there's some good arguments on both sides for this kind of stuff. And my point tonight is not to sway you to um, one or the other. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of struggling even some days on what I feel. I, I'm, I'm like a soft cessationist, but not really, because I'm not really a cessationist, but I'm also not hardline continuationist, because um, I believe that things like prophecy in tongues in some ways still exist today, but not in the ways that many in the charismatic movement would, would describe them, yet again, because my conviction's about the sufficiency of the Bible and God's desire for orderliness and work and how tongues require an interpretation um, if they're gonna be any value to the church. That's kind of where I fall based on what the Bible says, but I present all this to you tonight to kind of let you know the arguments and the different sides to it. But as we close, I will say this, all things concluded, that you know, in, if you're in this room and this stuff just sounds very out there and, and crazy and indifferent, know this, that us who have been raised more in Baptist church life or you've kind of, since you've become a Christian, been more involved in um, less charismatic stuff, Know this, that we have a lot of things we can learn from our more charismatic brothers and sisters. That I've been super blessed in my time of knowing some of them to be uh, really encouraged in you know living a life of dependence on God, living a life that is very much in tune to the spirit, the importance of, of prayer and worship and real engagement in worship, of, of discernment of what God is speaking to you, you know, of being really intentional to even know what God may be, may be doing in the life of somebody else and being able to speak into their life and encourage them, to be really intentional to know that God answers prayer, that God listens to prayer and he wants to, to respond to us in prayer, that God is active in that kind of way all these different kind of things, the, the desire for spiritual renewal and, and revival, all those kind of things that are really big in the charismatic church, we have a lot to learn from in places like a Baptist church. Now we may disagree on some things and where we fall with things like tons and prophecy and all that kind of stuff, but we have a lot we can learn from them in that kind of way. So we shouldn't you know, bicker and fight and downplay each other saying you guys are just a bunch of idiots who don't understand the Bible. That's not helpful for anybody, okay? Um, instead, we are the family of God together. We can learn from each other, even in some of our disagreements. And so with that, we need to uh, love each other well in that kind of way. I personally benefited, like I said, from some of this stuff in different ways. It, when People prophesied over me. It was more kind of vague stuff that probably could be spoken over any Christian, ultimately. But it was still encouraging <laughs> in the end what they were saying, what they were praying over me. And so there, there is some benefit in that in, in some ways. just for me, yet again, for the reasons I've talked about, I get nervous using that word prophecy because the weight we can put behind it that I think can be unhelpful sometimes okay but with that I'm not sure if I gave you uh, way more questions and things to struggle with than I did answers tonight but that's the big picture what the Bible has to say about these kind of things okay if you have more questions I'd be happy to, um, to talk you talk with you more about it later I can't promise uh, to give you a lot of answers <laughs> but I can uh, help you wade through some things and, and think through it okay but with that I want to give you guys a few minutes to discuss I know I went a little bit longer tonight because there's a lot of things to talk about so I'm gonna give you guys like maybe 10 minutes to just chat at your tables and talk about a couple of these questions in ways that this may have been helpful for you tonight, some of your own experiences, and some ways that this maybe could help you think uh, think better about this kind of stuff, okay? So let me pray for us really quickly, and we'll be done. Father, we love you, we thank you. We thank you that there is a diversity um, within your church that we may not always agree on certain things, but your Bible has made really clear what we're supposed to be about ultimately. We're supposed to be about making disciples of all nations, being unified in your church to express the love of Christ to the world. And so even as we look at some of these questions tonight and, and wrestle through what the Bible says and how we need to think well through them, I pray that regardless of where we land on some of this stuff with even other brothers and sisters, that we can all ultimately be pointed back to the sufficiency of your word, um, our need to get in your word um, more and more every day, our need to hear from you through your spirit, I need our need to come before you in prayer, our need for church community, that all those things, more than some big dramatic emotional moment. We need to be grounded and rooted in your truth because your truth is the true foundation that we need. So I pray that you would allow this time to to direct us in that way. Pray that you would guide us in our conversations, that it would be a way for us to be built up and encouraged in Christ. Pray it in Christ's name, amen.